0: As the Big 12 Conference gets ready to officially expand and add their four new members for the 2023 season in Houston, BYU, UCF, and Cincinnati, which team is set up the best to take over the Big 12 or to at least compete for a Big 12 championship in year one? Is it the UCF Knights? Well, I have a very special guest coming on the show today to discuss just that. So pull up a chair, sit back, relax, and let's talk about it. What is up college sports fans, fellow members of Mouth and Air Nation, this is Coos and welcome into another edition of Kuz's Corner. Pull that chair up and let me serve you up another shot of top shelf college football content. Today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest to discuss the UCF Knights, their successes on the recruiting trail and the transfer portal, and what the outlook is like for the Knights going forward as they join the Big 12 Conference in 2023. So without further ado, let me bring on my special guest, Mr. Christian Simmons. How are we doing, Christian? Good. Glad to be here. Thanks for hopping on, man. Yeah, sure. Before we dig into the show, I want you to let my
1: viewers and my listeners know uh, where they can find you. Yeah, so if you're interested in more UCF content, you can listen to me and my co-host Bailey Adams on the Pegasus Podcast. We're pretty much anywhere. You can find a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for our written work, you can go to nightsportsnow.com. we got pretty much all the UCF coverage you could ever want between those two places. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for
0: that. So, everybody, be sure to go check out Christian and his partner's work. I'll put links to everything in the description box. Uh, also, also, please, if you haven't yet subscribed to my channel here at Coos' Corner, obviously, I'm a West Virginia fan, as you can see, but I do cover all Big 12 content, especially new Big 12 content. I want to try to focus a little bit more on these four incoming schools going forward the UCF Knights, the Houston Cougars, the BYU Cougars, and the Cincinnati Bearcats. Today, the focus is going to be on UCF. Really, what I think are doing a bang up job in the transfer portal. So Christian, let's touch on the transfer portal first. You and I were kind of talking a little bit off air, but fill us in a little bit on some of the successes the Knights have seen in the portal so far for 2023.
1: Yeah. So UCF has basically since this new staff, Gus Malzahn's staff came in two years ago. Now the portal has been a huge, huge, huge part of their philosophy. I mean, they basically looked at it as 50, 50 They're last year. And they're looking to do it again this year. They're bringing in about as many high school guys as they are portal guys. There are two main reasons for that. The first one is they're obviously making the jump to the power five. That's a big jump. And they're trying to fill holes a little faster and take some shortcuts. That's easier to do with fully developed guys through the portal. And the second reason is location. UCF's, you know, in the middle of central Florida and Orlando, there's a ton of high school talent that comes out of that area. And UCF hasn't been afraid to basically go into the portal and find guys who are basically looking to get closer to home and, you know, get those guys in. So, I mean, they've got nine transfers in this class so far Four of those transfers from Florida, Um, four of them are former sec guys. And, it's been a good mix because basically the way that UCF has looked at recruiting is you take high school as the guys that you want to see really compete in two years really develop those positions and then portals fill the holes now UCF the o line was looking obviously you don't want to go into the, the big 12 of the week offensive line they've gotten two starters out of the portal they need to you know they need to fix up the secondary they've done that as well so the portals really sort of been about getting guys who can come in and start now and then high school's your development guys and that's been the path they've been taking and it's been working so far. They've got a really good class coming in so far this year. So it's been a lot of success so far. Yeah. And what we were talking about off air is, you
0: know, the the way these outlets rate these transfer portal classes, huge discrepancy in the way 24 seven sports does it, for example, who, by the way, I use 24 seven for majority of my work here on my channel and on my podcast. But uh, so I, I really love those guys over there and what they do. But when you look at how they're rating the transfer portal, versus the way somebody like an on-three is doing it, uh, huge differences. Uh, 24-7 sports is not really taking into account the guys who have left programs. They're only looking at what you brought in, whereas on-three is taking both of those into account. And If you look at on-three, they actually have UCF as the number five rated transfer portal class in the country right now. Uh, wh- what do you think has led to that? I mean, you know, talk about some of the big
1: players they've gotten in the portal uh, and some of the su- successes they've had there, if you don't mind. Yeah. So last year, well, it's interesting you talk about 247 because Terrence Lewis, who was a former linebacker out of or a former Maryland player who was a linebacker transferred into UCF. And that was like the top of the class for UCF in 247's eyes. And Terrence Lewis came into UCF, wasn't competitive, couldn't get on the field. He's already transferred out. So I, I take the transfer rankings with a little bit of a grain of salt. And, and I understand because it's harder to right? you rate. Know, a high school, it's like you have years to evaluate these players and transfer a lot of the time. You haven't seen them in college in some situations. They hop in the portal. You try try to do a quick eval and that's all you can do. But yeah, UCF's had a lot of success. This year, they've gone for an interesting mix of guys. One of their favorite things to do is to find guys who are playing at the highest level of the sport who maybe want to get on the field a little faster and bring those guys in. They've done that with Christian Leary, who's an Alabama wide receiver who that room stacked right now. So they just brought him in, which they last year, their leading receiver this year was Jayvon Baker, who was an Alabama receiver last year. So they've done that. They brought in Chauncey Magwood from Kentucky, another receiver, uh, Amari Kite. Is a lineman who they're bringing in from Alabama. So, they, you know, Gus Malzahn knows the SEC. He loves to snatch SEC talent where he can, especially when it's guys with Florida ties. Then the other route they're doing, which has helped a lot too, is they go in both directions, which is what I like about their strategies. There's some programs out there where they say, okay, we're going to go take P5 guys who aren't playing, or okay, we'll go to FCS. And UCF's doing both. They brought in some FCS guys. They brought in some group of five guys. Marcellus Marshall out of Kent State is going to start on the O-line for them this year. It's looking like they got the Jordan mask from Texas State. So that's been the big thing UCF's been doing is they're not discriminating where this talent comes from. They're willing to go in both directions to get it. And you've seen that on the field last year. I mean, one of their biggest impact players on defense was defensive tackle Ricky Barber. He came in from Western Kentucky. Then on offense, you've got Javon Baker from Alabama. So they're really, they'll get the guys wherever they can. And UCF has a good sales pitch. There's lots of guys with Florida ties who want to come back home, want to be near home. And also, you know, UCF has, as far by group of five standards, they've got a pretty good NIL deal rolling. They've got a collective. That's all going well. It's a good place to live. Everything's changed since they can say they're going to the Big 12, so they've, they're have they having a lot of success there right now. Right. So
0: two guys I want to touch on specifically. One of them you mentioned in Marshall, who you guys took from us, by the way. <laughs> uh, you didn't take him from us. He was not on our team. He was from Kent State, but West Virginia was going after him pretty hard in the portal, and he's a Morgantown, West Virginia native, so he's literally in West Virginia University's backyard, but yet he chose to go to UCF. Uh, so. My my opinion, that was a pretty big win for you guys to get a kid from that far north. Obviously, I'm sure, you know, love, wanting to live in Florida is probably a piece of that. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm sure he was attracted to what Gus Malzahn and his staff were building there. And then the other guy I want you to touch on is, uh, if you don't mind, is Fred Davis, uh, the defensive back from Clemson. Uh, he's listed, uh, according to on three, I'm, I'm sorry, according to rivals, as a... Yeah, as the number twenty and number thirty-four ranked transfer in this year's class. So, uh, I want you. Can you touch on those two guys for me real quick? Yeah, sure.
1: So starting with Marcellus Marshall, I'm I'm as surprised as you that UCF landed him. When he went in the portal and I saw UCF was targeting him, it was like, okay, he's from Morgantown. West Virginia's after him. Pitt was after him as well. And that one was interesting. And that's kind of been part of the reason UCF has been having success. Is like you said, it's just living in Orlando is a really easy pitch and that's something that UCS benefited from. They're very excited about the idea of coming into the power five and being one of a small group of teams playing at the highest level of football that are in a metropolitan area or in a good area to live. And the other big thing there is their O-line coach is Herhand, Hand, who's had a ton of success and he's a real like players coach. Players love playing for him. And we've said before with him, it's like a lot of these O-line recruits, if you can get them in a room with him, then it's over. So I think that that was a big part of that as well. And yeah, Fred Davis is another one where that was, the pitch was easy for UCF because that's an immediate need they have. They've lost they've lost a couple guys to the portal at that position group. And he's a guy who, another guy from Florida, he's from Jacksonville originally. And that, that's kind of what's made some of this stuff so easy for UCF is you can basically, when these guys start hitting the portals towards the end of the season, guys like Fred Davis, guys like Christian Leary, you pretty much just scour and you say, okay, who's from Florida, who we want? And that's the start of your board right there. And so many of these guys are so interested in the idea of just coming home and You know, a couple years ago, that pitch wasn't the same because, you know, coming home is a little less appealing when you're coming home to an AAC team versus when you have a Miami or a Florida State or a Florida right there. And now that UCF's been able to sell that, you know, they've they've already, the second the season ended, they put the Big 12 logos on the field right before they hosted some of these transfers on an official visit. I mean, they're really hammering that home. And that's got guys like Fred Davis, like Marcellus Marshall more interested than they might've been two years ago. Yeah, that's, you can't blame her for that.
0: Um, And by the way, you know, as a fellow Big 12 guy, we are, we are really excited to have you guys and the other three teams on board with us. Uh, we're, we're excited about the future of the conference. We're going to be some really really good football games, basketball games. I think it'll be an exciting league. I think there's going to be a lot of parity in the league because I think the four teams that's coming in will be able to compete, uh, maybe even in day one, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, with the teams that are already in the league. So I think it's going to be very exciting. I think, you know, is losing Texas and Oklahoma going to hurt our, hurt our pocketbooks? Absolutely. There's no way to deny that. You can't deny it or you're living under a rock. But I think the quality on the field and the excitement from a fan's perspective will be even better because I think any given year, any team can win this league. Uh, and that excites me. So, and, yeah, 100%. And, and and now I have an excuse, not that I need a woman, now I will have an excuse to make a trip to Orlando to watch a football game. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the pitch right there for UCF, But Absolutely. But, uh, Real quick, uh, let's touch on high school recruiting a little bit. What uh, what are some of UCF's big successes getting guys out of the high school ranks?
1: Yeah, so high school recruiting's been going better than ever, and it was kind of two perfect things happening at the same time, which was Malzahn and the staff coming in, and then UCF also getting the Big 12 invite. Those have, you know, that first spring when this staff showed up, that was before we knew about Texas and Oklahoma leaving, all the realignment, all of that. At that point, UCF was just still an AAC team, and ECF's recruiting strategy for basically the last 15 years has been very simple. You go to Florida, you stay in Florida, and you say, let's take all of the guys who are really fast, and if they're four inches taller, they'd be in the SEC. That's your recruiting strategy. And it's worked. That's how they built their 2017 team, their 2018 team, their 2013 team, is guys who are you know, small and speedy and can basically kill you with their speed but aren't necessarily like the size of Power 5 guys. And they've had a lot of success there. And when Malzahn came in, that changed really fast. And even before the Big 12, his, his vision was, we're going to go after the top guys in the state, there's no reason we can't do that. We, we're selling a lot here. We can make that happen. And there were guys, four-star guys, even a couple of five-star guys, who UCF got on campus pre-Big 12, and they straight up said to the coaching staff, "They said, I love your staff. The facilities are way better than I thought. This place seems great. But I'm a Power Five player. You know, I'm a Power Five guy. And and truth is, there was just no matter what UCF does off the field, no matter what they build, no matter how good they get on the field, when you're selling home games against Temple or Tulsa or whoever." to recruits, there's just some who aren't going to listen. Yeah, That's all changed in the two years since of the Big 12 move. And the biggest thing this year is UCF was able to go head to head against Florida for a couple of guys who won those battles. They got John Walker, who's the number 101 prospect in the country. He committed to UCF over Ohio State in July, which in alone is even a crazy sentence to say. And then Florida came after him hard Um, these last couple of weeks. They did get him on campus for an official week before signing day. And UCF managed to hold on to him. And that's that, that's been kind of the talk of recruiting in the state of Florida because that's never really happened before that UCF's able to steal guys away from Florida. Right. And then on top of that, they had Isaiah Nixon, edge rusher, number 268 player in the country. He flipped from Florida to UCF on signing day. So, And Florida didn't even realize that was coming until two days before. So high school recruiting has been going very well for UCF. Being able to compete not just with Power 5 teams but with some of the in-state powers is really, really changing things quickly. Oh, that's huge,
0: man. That's, I mean, because we all know that high school – the mecca that high school football is in Florida. Probably you could argue second, second best in the country as far as yep. putting out talent behind Texas. Maybe maybe even better than Texas. I don't know. I guess it depends on who you ask. But and so if, so if UCF can start getting some of those guys from Florida, Florida State, Miami. I mean, that's that's going to be huge. And I think I mean obviously you're, they're already proving they can with some of these additions you mentioned. Real quick, before we move on to the next topic, I want to remind everybody, uh, I'm here with Christian Simmons from the Pegasus podcast. You can find him on Twitter at by C.A. Simmons. That's B-Y-C-A-S-I-M-M-O-N-S. And then I'm, you can find me on Twitter at coos two Oh six at C-O-U-Z two Oh six. For Those of you who are listening, uh, on podcast platforms. I'm proud to be a member of the pigskin podcast network. Thank them for bringing me on as part of the TP, family. Uh, but let's, let's dive in real quick, Christian, to the upcoming bowl game. You guys are playing Duke uh, on the 28th of December at 2 p.m. in the afternoon in the Military Bowl. So uh, what are your – looks like Duke is favored in that game, actually, by three and a half, uh, which is kind of surprising, uh, but maybe not. But what are your thoughts going into that game? What do you think UCF chances are in that game? Do you guys have anybody opting out? Those, those kind of things.
1: Yeah, so it's been a weird stretch. So as far as opt-outs, they've got the three starters who entered the portal: wide receiver Ryan O'Keefe, Devontae Brown, and then Jeremiah Jean Baptiste. So apparently, which were two days out here, but as of now, it sounds like there are no opt-outs. And I was skeptical of that when that came out a week ago. But everyone's traveled with the team so far, and they're all in D.C. now, waiting to go play in that game. So okay. as of now, no opt-outs, which is kind of surprising because there are a few guys who are expecting to try to have a shot at the NFL here, but. Honestly, it's all just going to come down to the health of John Rice Plumley, the quarterback. Um, he's been dealing with a hamstring issue basically the whole second half of the season, and it's really, really hurt them at times. They lost to Navy when he had to miss the second half. They were up 28 to nothing on their rival USF when he was in. He got hurt. They ended up losing the lead in that game late and had to come back on a late touchdown to win it. He then missed a big chunk of the conference title game to Tulane, and the offense was dead in the water when he was not on the field, and they ended up losing that game pretty badly. So, He's had some time to heal up now. He's had almost a month. It's just a question of his health because they had another really good quarterback in Mikey Keene, who was his backup and actually started in 2021 and then lost the job to Plumlee when he came in through the portal, but he's transferred out now. He's headed to Fresno state. So their only other option is true freshman, Tommy Castellanos who has a lot of potential, but he's a true freshman. He's just not ready yet. So the bowl game, it's just kind of a question of how healthy JRP is going to be. If he's fully healthy, I think they can win that game. If he's not, it could get rough really fast. Yeah. Does JRP have uh, any more eligibility after this season? He'll be back next year. Um, it's a little – there are a couple other guys. They brought in Timmy McLean as a transfer. He was USF starting quarterback last year and sat out this year because he transferred late, and they've got Castellanos as well. And JRP, it's been – when he's on, he's really good, but he's had inconsistency, and it, it's we're kind of waiting to see right now if he's set to be the starter next year because he's also, as of now, going to miss all of spring camp because he's on the baseball team as well, but right. he is going to be back next year. So I would guess good. he'd be the starter, at least to start the season, but we'll see.
0: Good. And what about – you? you mentioned you've got three receivers in the portal. No, just one receiver Rhino. Oh, just one receiver. Yeah, right. Okay. Keeps. So they got ball. yeah, three players
1: in the uh three starters in the portal. Gotcha, table, and Rhino gotcha. keeps the okay. receiver so. Gotcha. They have their other gotcha. guys there.
0: I was going to ask you, man, that's cuz you know, I was going to ask you about the depth at that position but If it's just one guy, then it's probably not that big of a deal. Yeah, they should be
1: okay. They've got Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson, and the third spot's a little – that position does get thin quick, so Mm -hmm. that actually might be an issue in the game, but they do have a couple young guys they can throw in there to kind of see what they have with them at least, which is kind of what bowl season is becoming for a lot of teams at this point is seeing what you have with your young guys. So we'll have to see. Okay.
0: Real quick, guys, I want to take a minute and recognize my sponsor for this program, and that is DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL and is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings' stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code TPPN, place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Once again, promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so real quick, Christian. Uh, I mentioned the odds at 3.5 point. Duke's favored by three and a half in that game, This three and a half point spread. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's about right? Or do you think, uh, you know, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to scoff at it. I know on the surface you see UCF and you say Duke and, and you say, why is UCF not favored in that game? But at the end of the day, JRP's health is a factor and also UCF's defense was falling off at the end of the year here. And now they are down two starters, two starters who were in the portal and Duke's got a really dynamic quarterback and Riley Leonard. So, I'm not going to sit here and get outraged about that. I think right. that UCF's best case scenario is if JRP is healthy, that probably does become a shootout just with the way the defense has been playing the last few games and UCF. Yeah. The other factor is the weather. It's going to be, I think, 30 degrees um, the day of the game. UCF not used to playing in 30-degree weather, right. so we'll have to see there. I think UCF's got a good shot if JRP's healthy, but if, if he still isn't, which is a possibility, then, yeah, it, it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah, this, this is kind of off-base, but what is the deal with all these bowl games in cold-weather cities with
1: I, you know, this is the first time UCF's left the state for a non-New Year's Six bowl since 2010. So they're they're not used to cold weather bowl games. This yeah. is a uh, this is gonna be a I'm, weird adjustment for them.
0: I mean, a bowl game is supposed to be a reward for teams, but yet they send them somewhere where it's in in a lot of cases colder than where they're coming from.
1: Especially uh, UCF, you have multiple bowl games in the state of Florida that their conference does yeah. have tie-ins to, and they got shits to Maryland. It's kind of weird, yeah. but you know you do it. Yeah,
0: I mean, like I, I remember back, I think it was 2000 after the 2012 season. West Virginia had, you know, they went in the 2012 season. It was the first season in the Big 12. They were supposed to, they were expected to compete for the conference title. They ended up finishing like seven and five, I think. They ended up getting, I think they played in the, the inaugural pinstripe bowl that year in New York, and they were not happy about it. And it, Yeah, what a it, reward for a season. <laughs> and it showed on game day, man. Because, I mean, it, it snowed. The weather was cold. I mean, you know, our three best players were Tavon, Stedman, and Gino. And, of course, Stedman and Gino were from Florida. They're Miami guys. Uh, Now, yeah, they have played in cold weather in Morgantown, but it's nothing like you see, like they saw in New York for that game. And they played like garbage, man. I mean, Syracuse, (laughs) and and we ended up having to play Syracuse as an in-state school, which didn't help. So, I mean, it just wasn't, I'm thinking, what kind of reward is this? But, I mean, uh, one of the players, I think it was even Tavon, came out in an interview and said, you know, we were kind of looking forward to going to Florida for a bowl game. Uh, so, we're not real happy about it. You know, they, so, I mean, you, they, they were straight up honest about the fact they weren't happy having to play in a cold weather game. So, I, don't, it's kind of surprising that you don't see more players opting out of these types of games. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Because no, for players. sure. I'll be curious what happens too when it's with, I mean, we're what, a two years out or a year out from the 12 team playoff era starting. I'll be curious the first time, like, uh, I don't know, like an Alabama or Georgia or someone like that has to go on the road to like an Ohio State in that, in that round of on-campus games, that's
0: that's going to be a weird one. <laughs> It'll be weird, but I, I personally am looking forward to it. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> play expansion, but I think it's great.
1: Oh, I'm all for it. The UCF, of course, I mean, the UCF won 25 games in a row and uh, was never ranked higher than eighth. So UCF fans are typically pretty, uh, pretty pro-expanding the thing. I, I can
0: imagine. and And I think anybody who's a Big 12 fan probably should be because... That's going to be our best shot to get a team. I mean, obviously, we got TCU in this year, but uh, it's, it's going to be harder to get a team in in a four-team format than it is in a, if we get an auto bid every year where the champion is going to automatically get in. And there could be years we potentially get two teams in. You know? Right. This year, the Big 12 might have gotten two in.
1: Kansas State could have gotten in this year. Yeah, I saw and someone put out, if the if you take the format for 2024, it would have been Kansas State as well in yeah, that first so,
0: round. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it, man. And, and you anyway, know, if we can add more college football games on at the end of the season, I mean, anybody that loves college football ought to be a fan of that. But now there are some out there who are not, and I get it. But I
1: personally am all for it, um, not only from a West Virginia perspective, but also just from a college football fan perspective. Yeah, 100%. I feel like if you're a football – I mean, like you said, if you're a college football fan, you want more football. I feel like it makes the sport – it keeps things more national, too. You're not just going to have four teams from, you know, the same region in the postseason every right. year. You make sure the whole country is represented. I think that's all a good thing. Right. Uh,
0: real quick, speak to – uh you guys lost both your coordinators in the offseason. Uh, can you fill the audience in on where those where they are and filling those roles?
1: And- yeah, so Travis Williams was the D.C. He'd been with Gus since the Auburn days, and he left to become the D.C. at Arkansas. That one, the destination was a surprise, but him leaving wasn't. He'd been sort of flirting with the Auburn job for a couple weeks, so we sort of knew that one was coming. Chip Lindsey, the offensive coordinator, left to take the same position at UNC. That one wasn't a surprise. It had kind of been expected all year that he was going to leave. It, it's tough being an OC to Malzahn because you're not really the OC. I mean, Chip Lindsay was essentially the quarterback's coach with an OC title uh, tagged on. There was a little bit of quarterback controversy this year between John Ress and Mikey Keene at points, and it sounded like Chip Lindsay and Gus Malzahn maybe didn't always see eye to eye on that situation. So that one's not much of a surprise. So they're still waiting to fill OC. We don't know who it's going to be yet, but that position has a lot more intrigue now because Gus Malzahn has now said publicly that He's probably going to give up play calling and give up the offense to the new offense coordinator. And that's not really an issue that the offense hasn't worked with him calling it because it has. It's just that he talked about that with the transfer portal being what it is, with NIL being what it is, with recruiting now being a year round thing, it's just, it's gotten really hard for a head coach to handle all of that and then also be game planning week in and week out. And it might be easier for him to take on more of a CEO role and be the face of the program and let some younger offensive coordinator actually design and run the offense. So we'll see. We're not sure where they're going to go with that one. It's a bit of a mystery. The fact that, it hasn't happened yet makes me suspect that someone who's coaching in a bowl game right now, because we know that interviews have happened. So we'll have to wait and see. Right.
0: Yeah. And then the final thing I want to touch on before I let you go, Christian is the uh, entrance into the big 12. Uh, Obviously I know UCF fans are excited about it. Like you said, they put the big 12 logos on the field immediately uh, after their last game and whatnot. Uh, But, what are your what what are realistic expectations for for UCF? Do you guys expect to come in and compete for a Big Twelve title day one? Do you think there'll be a one or two year uh, gap between that, and it'll take them some time
1: to adjust to the new new level of competition? Or what what are your thoughts there? Well, if you ask some UCF fans, they'll say um, come in and win a title right away because for the last ten years, that's just so, sort of how UCF is used to things being. But that's not really reality. Um, they're still working on, there were some really bad recruiting misses under the staff before Malzahn they're still kind of digging out of and building that depth back. And the depth is really what they're missing right now. So UCF is kind of operating on a two-year plan and year one is come in and be competitive. That's where you're talking about. If they have like a seven and five season, something like that, you're comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And then 2024 is the year they're really targeting where now you're stacking. You've had these two really good recruiting classes where those guys should all be contributors. Now you've been able to stack up through the portal. You've had time to sort out quarterbacks. So 2024 is really the year they're targeting for, because long-term, UCF does want to be – which I don't think there's ever going to be another Oklahoma in this conference. I think there's too much parity. No one's going to come in and dominate the league year in and year out. But UCF's long-term goal is they do think they can be a top three team in that conference most years, and that's what they're working towards. So yeah. is that going to happen in year one? Probably not. They're just not there yet, but they do want to get there pretty quick. So 2024 is kind of that year that's being targeted.
0: And I've been saying – and I'm not saying this just because you're on my show because I've actually told some of my friends this you know, weeks ago. UCF is the one team of the four that were added. I think UCF is the one team that has the best chance of being a future uh, powerhouse because, like, like the Oklahoma, because of, number one, location. You're in Florida. Number two, I just think, I mean, you look historically the last decade. That that program, regardless of who their coach has been, they have won football games, man. They have, they've competed for conference titles. They've, they've had undefeated seasons. I mean, they just continue to win. And I think that's that starts at the top. I think they've had great leadership over the years. You look at the, the size of their fan base, the size of their enrollment uh, that, that, that bodes well for the future as far as donors, as far as NIL, all of that. I mean, cause you, you think the age of age, of a lot of these fans now are younger, are younger fans. And if they start giving to the program now, they're going to continue that year in, year out for, for the foreseeable future. And, to me, the sky's the limit for UCF, I'll be honest with you. And I, one of my biggest fears is not only them coming in and being dominant at some point, but uh, would they actually be attracted or attractive to a conference like the SEC at some point or, or the ACC or whoever, uh, which I don't know that the ACC would be in a position to take them right now. But but still, I mean, e- any of the other Power Five conferences may come in and try to pluck a team like a UCF away from the Big 12. And that kind of worries me a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts what are your thoughts along those lines
1: yeah I mean it's been it sounds I hope it doesn't come across as cocky but basically for the last 15-20 years UCF's been building to this moment of it's never been like oh if they get the chance to get in a power conference it's when the opportunity comes and I feel like for fans who maybe are not as familiar with UCF it's easy to see the label group of five and that's the label but what you said is very true UCF has been spending like a power five team for the better part of 20 years now they have, they're the largest school in the country by enrollment. They have 330,000 living alumni. The average age of the alumni is 35. So they've got money. It's it's younger money, but they do have that money, and they've had facilities for a long time. They were the first team in the state to build an indoor practice facility. They've got the stadium. They fill it. So the the building blocks are there, and it really is. The whole issue has been what happens if you know UCF gets eight million dollars a year from the AAC. And within a couple of years, that's going to jump to about fifty million with the new Big Twelve deal, and you add on playoff revenue and everything there. So, for what you're saying, that is the dream vision for UCF. Is now that they have that Power Five money and almost more as important, the Power Five brand behind them, can they take off now and become what the administration has felt like basically for twenty years that they should be if they get in the right situation? So, yeah. as far as going to the SEC or Big Ten eventually, I, I don't know. I the thing I like about the Big Twelve is what you said, and I think it's going to make it a valuable league as a TV property. Is there's no There's no Ohio State. There's no Alabama who's just going to steamroll every year, and you never know. I mean, I think it's going to be a wide-open league, and I think that makes for fun TV where you can have all of these games most years that matter where teams are in it. With a 12-team playoff, you know you're playing for a playoff spot. So UCF is very happy to be in the Big 12, and I don't think they're looking past that yet, but they're really looking to take that next step in their evolution. You know, Right. And you
0: you guys are going to be in a situation a little bit, and BYU will be too to an extent. You guys are going to be on somewhat of an island geographically. Um, I mean, even West Virginia is going to be your closest opponent and we're, we're over 700 miles away. Yep. So that's, that's where we've been for the last 10, 10 plus years, 11 years. Our closest opponent has been Iowa state who's over 700 miles away. So you, you guys are going to kind of be that, um uh, that lone, uh, entity down there in the Southeast. Does that make, do you think that would make it more, um uh, tempting so to speak for a team like UCF to try to maybe try to get into an SEC or an ACC even, even though the ACC is not making the SEC money, do you think that geography would be an advantage there?
1: Honestly, no. And UCF's had a history of kind of always doing what you have to do regardless of geography. UCF played the MAC in the early 2000s because they just moved up to FBS in 96. They didn't have an offer on the table from a BCS conference. So they said, who will take us? And the MAC said, we'll do it. And they said, great, that's a conference. It gets us into bowl games. We'll do that. And I don't, They've always kind of had to deal with that. I mean, even in the AAC, they had USF and state, but I mean, they've that that that's a wide ranging league that teams in Texas, in Philadelphia, in Oklahoma. So, UCF's always had to travel a lot. It's you. not necessarily something that they're gonna, I, you know, I don't think they'd make a move based on that. I think they're always gonna be focused on the money and everything else will come from there.
0: Makes sense. And, and two, I mean, the Orlando airport travels to almost every city in America. So, right. I'm sure that's not a huge uh, issue for them. They can jump on a plane in no time and get to wherever they need to go. Uh, but what you will find in the Big 12, I think, is travel is probably a little bit trickier than some other conferences because most of your universities, like Lubbock, Texas, uh, Morgantown, for example, and I am I, I could be totally wrong on Lubbock. I was just throwing out cities as an example because I don't know the airport situation. But there are a lot, of t- a lot of cities in the Big 12 that don't have airports. Right. So you've got to fly into a, the closest airport, and then you may have to travel another 30 minutes to an hour on a bus to get to your, where you're going. So – that, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have had to face that any, you know, some of your other conferences, maybe you have. Uh, but that's probably the one challenge to the travel in the Big 12 is it's just a bunch of small college towns that don't have airports. And uh, uh, so, but anyway, but but we can all get to Orlando easily. which is- <laughs> Well, we're providing the easy trip. So that's right, that's right. <laughs> no I, other, I'll be honest with you. Bases. I'm going to try. I've heard great things about the bounce house. I'm going to try my best to get to a game in the future, whenever that is. And I can't wait to see the Big 12 schedule come out for 2023. Uh, have, have you heard any update of timeline on when we can
1: expect to see that, by the way? UCF's athletic director told some boosters last week that it was supposed to come by February 1st. Okay. So it sounds like it was done. And then in Vegas, they started renegotiating with Texas and Oklahoma when the exit was going to be. And once that happened, they pushed back the timeline. So- I got you. We'll okay. see. UCF fans are excited for it because it, it almost still it's like it's not really going to feel fully real until you get that schedule and you see those home games and where you're going to be playing. So yeah. I can't wait.
0: Well, West Virginia fans are on edge too because we want to see you know who we're going to be playing next year because we've got our out of conference next year. We go to Penn State and then we play Pitt at home. So uh, our our non conference we do have one quote unquote cupcake in there with Duquesne, but two power fives out of conference man, and that's yeah. be, that'll be the third year in a row that we've done that. I think. So, uh, <laughs> doing Neil Brown, no
1: favors. This
0: This schedule was actually set up by our previous athletic director, but even before Shane Lyons, uh, Oliver Luck is the one who made this schedule. So I think they've tried to go going forward. They're trying to not do that. Uh, but we still got to play out the rest of these, you know, these schedules, these contracts. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, it'll be interesting to see if any, if any of those games change because, uh, you know, the way the Big Twelve schedule could get a, get lined up. The non-conference schedule could even change because of that, right? Because of dates and things like that. But anyway, Christian, I appreciate one more time, man, before we hop off of here. Uh, let everybody know where they can find
1: you on on online, on on YouTube, on podcast platforms, wherever. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at by CA Simmons as far as the Pegasus Podcast. Pretty much anywhere you're looking to get a podcast, we will be there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, looking for our written work, check out nightsportsnow.com.
0: And for those of you who are watching, you can see scrolling along the bottom of the screen. I've got my Twitter handle. I've got Christian's Twitter handle. Uh, so come interact with us. I'm sure he would love it. I love it. Uh, please subscribe to this channel here. Please subscribe and follow the Pegasus Podcast wherever you find your podcast platforms. Please find Coosa's Corner on your favorite podcast platforms as well. We're kind of new to the podcasting game, but but hey, we're going to try to grow this thing as much as we can. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and as always.
1: Thank you, Country Roads.